This is Power of the Streets, a podcast series brought to you by Human Rights Watch about how we speak truth to power. My name is Audrey Kawire Wabwire, and I'm based in Nairobi, Kenya. In our first season, we've been hearing from some of the people driving Africa's Me Too movement. And if you haven't listened to the first three episodes of this series, please make sure you listen to all of them. In this episode, I'm speaking to someone who spoke truth to power by standing up to a man who had been the most powerful person in her country. You don't have to speak up because someone else has spoken up. Um, You don't have to speak up because someone else is telling you to speak up. You know, you speak up when you feel like it's what is going to heal your soul. That's Tufa Jalo, an activist, writer, and former Gambian beauty pageant winner. She took her fight to the doorstep of Yaya Jame, who was one of Africa's most ruthless dictators. He ruled Gambia for 22 years until 2017. When Tufa was 18 years old, Jame raped her. You speak up because you, you're ready to speak up. You think it's time to speak up. Um, you speak up because you want to help other people speak up. You know, it has to be at your own timeline, at your own pace. It could be five months later. It could be two days later. It could be 35 years later. Tufa spoke to me from Canada, where she fled soon after the assault. Her story was covered by the international media, and it was the centerpiece of a Human Rights Watch report. Yaya Jame's rule in Gambia was marked by widespread abuses, including forced disappearances, extrajudicial killings, and arbitrary detention. Tufa took me back to the moment when she decided to go public. You know, I was just trying to look up to find one person who had come out or has a story or has, has, has seeked the pathway to justice against their perpetrator. And going on, I'm sitting in this computer, I'm wearing my pajamas, and this is like 9 a.m. in the morning. And I'm just scrolling through, and I'm searching. I went to the search box on Google, and I, I typed um, rape, Gambia, fighting. And all that came up was kind of UN statistics and World Health Organization statistics. And I typed again, Gambian victim, all the words that you think you can put in to kind of get to some type of article. Um, I did that and, and nothing was coming up. Again, it was just statistics and numbers, one out of five, 10 out of this. And I said to myself, does that mean this doesn't happen in Gambia? Like, that's impossible, right? Like it, it happens. It only, I mean, it happens like everywhere else, but Everything is hidden behind a number. And how can people talk about this? How can people find a pathway to healing when what happened to them is kind of almost non-existent in their lives, you know? And imagining a younger person than me with less opportunities who's not in Canada trying to figure out what is the blueprint to fighting for yourself and speaking up and realizing that there's nothing on that 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 shifted my perspective I think more than anything how did you find courage to finally speak to your mom especially what did you tell yourself to give yourself courage to actually sit down and tell her what has happened 
you know, I have not to this day think I have sat with my mom and like spent 20 minutes talking about what happened or how it happened directly, like just to her. No, I am still unable to do that. That's why this whole thing is a process. The first thing I did, because I was seeing a therapist at the time, the conversation went from how to find myself and heal to how do we prepare for coming out? How do we prepare to kind of talk about this from this cultural and 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 social standing? How do you how do we build up your 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 resistance and your ability to take it all? Are you ready for that? Then it went on. This was again another year of me trying to kind of be ready for that moment. But I knew that I wasn't going to keep quiet as that as that process started. You know, you have been public about your story for some time now. Yeah. And I wonder you've mentioned some of the things, but I, I, I want to know more about what the hardest thing about coming forward has been? I think for me, I mean, there's so much. I mean, it's just enormous. And that's why I'm in a place where I do deeply understand and sympathize with every woman who would rather not talk about it in as much as I'm advocating, advocating for speaking up. It's... I think one of my biggest fears and one of the things that really did did get to me was the realization that you get to lose yourself in the midst of this, right? Who you actually are and the things you like, the the the, the person you are kind of get stripped away and you just become a victim of this thing and a story of this thing and that's all that it is and I think it's been a feeling of mourning for me knowing who I am all that it is that I can offer is somehow lost and takes a backseat as if somehow I cannot coexist as all of these things you know um, that has been hard for me personally um, to realize that I did not see that part coming. Yaya Jame was voted out of office and he eventually left Gambia. A truth commission was set up to hear from his victims, including those he raped. You know, it's been a very deliberate effort for me when I testified at the truth commission because I know... You know, everybody listens to that in the country, from rural Gambia to the open cities. And deliberately always, and as as, as hard as that was, because my mom and my dad were sitting in the, in the crowd during my testimony, is that to deliberately mention body parts like vagina and penis and breast. Um, and it was, it was a shocking moment because we don't do that. 
And I deliberately did that because I did not want to not paint the picture of what violence looks like um, and sexual violence to be specific. I did not want to blur the lines. I wanted them to see and probably to be able to visualize for the first time um, what talking about that honestly sounds like. And it's been interesting to kind of hear even from other organizations that work within the region who say, after my coming out, when they go into villages, it's been very easy because before, when they walk into villages, they have to spend some time with the village head or the chief um, trying to go around conversations. Oh, we're here to talk about women and girl, uh, boys, you know, their issue or some of the, the, the sufferings that happen between them and all these coded language to kind of explain and be able to have access to the young people to kind of discuss sexual violence or harassment in general. And to now hear them say, oh, we're here to talk about, you know, issues like what happened to Tufa. And there's a general understanding of what that is. Um, and to not have to spend hours and hours trying to find a way not to sound rude, not to sound inappropriate in order to even provide knowledge to the young people of that community. So to just be able to be used as a reference point um, to refer to that, it's it's been great, you know, to kind of push the conversation in that way. Um, so those is the, those are one of the things I'm really really passionate about because once we are able to find a language for something, then it exists. If it doesn't have a language attached to it, it is non-existent, and you cannot fight, eradicate, and advocate against something that everyone pretends like doesn't exist. For me, one of the things I think that has been achieved for me is to just know, now we can talk about this. <laughs> like, oh, this is a national discourse? Great. Just that, just the fact that it is a conversation that we have with our homes because my issue has been the talk of almost every home and it's, oh, did you hear that too far? Oh my God, what happened? This happened, that happened. But at least probably I'm sure there are some families that even had this discussion for the first time. Tufa has also focused on normalizing the conversation at home. My youngest brother knows what has happened to me. Uh, we talk about consent. We talk about um, how he should be a gentleman and all of that. And he understands that at that age. Uh, same with my sister. A privilege they get to have that I did not have and many of us don't have. Um at the house, my littlest sister who's um, like seven years old would scream, no to rape, no to rape, no to sexual violence. I mean, it's like a song. And and it's, it's just been great to know that that is a normalized conversation, that we came from zero talks of it to almost frequently all the time talking about it. So... That's been awesome. And, yeah. you know, you've talked about the risks, the hardships, the side eyes that you've gotten um, as a result of 
speaking out and being public about your story, where do you draw your own strength from? How do you take care of yourself, Tufa? I think the strength in general and, and the idea of pushing forward comes from a line of, of, of feminine energy. My mother, it's, it's, it's a very mellow, quiet kind of an African mom, but also a very resistant one, right? Resistance doesn't just come from the ability of being able to put your feelings and expression into words. There are people that act on it. Um, I might be a bit more outspoken than my mom, but I don't think I am stronger than she is. If you consider the sociocultural backgrounds that they come from. Um, you have my mom who was married off at 18. Um, she had me when she was sitting for her final exams, fighting for her place in school, even as she was married off without her consent at 18 years old. Um, not stopping there, but deciding to stop breastfeeding me, leave the village, travel all the way to the city just so she could start college um, against the advice of all the male figures in her life um, to have herself go to college, then come back for me later to gap her, her childbearing uh, 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 um, time frame so she could go to university, um, married in a polygamous family of four other wives. And, and, you know, that to me is strength. And that to me is feminism. And to me, I find it very disrespectful when that is not recognized as feminism, but somehow other variations of it in other parts of the world are considered that. And that is not coming from an outside perspective. That is coming from us. That's why it hurts. Because somehow when a black woman stands for herself, she has to be influenced by an outside influence. But our mothers and our grandmothers have been a sort of, a sort of strength, a source of um, inspiration in their own way. And, and I think we are just a representation of that, but I guess in a more radical way. <laughs> yeah. To first set the stage for this whole series of Power of the Streets, we're going to hear all about the progressive and innovative ways that people are standing up on the continent. I was keen to hear what she thinks is missing from the current Me Too conversations. I think what is missing is a sense of ownership of our stories, right? My story is out there not because of me as a person, me, but because of the person who violated my body, right? The story is out there in a way and it's sensationalized and it's huge, not because of me, because what happened to me happened to so many other people, but because of the person who did it to me, my perpetrator, his position and his power and who he is, is why my story is the way it is. Right, And that's a privilege I have to recognize and continue to speak up because it is given that level of attention. But Tufa worries that it's not just about personal ownership, but who gets to tell our stories to our communities and the world. If I had gone to a local radio station, if I had gone to, 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 to 
a media house, a national media house, and meet a journalist and kind of talk about this with them. Would have my story gotten here? Would it be be publicized? Would 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 you know? It, it's all these questions, and and to know that all of these stories, starting from Gambia to Senegal to Nigeria, you know, all the way to the east, to realize that the stories become national. Um, West African, African conversation, international conversation, only if outsiders pick it up. That is an unfortunate position that we find ourselves. And I think to engage media houses to, or journalists in general in Africa, to build interest in, you know, investigating such stories, to put much importance to women and survival stories um, in as much as we put into um, 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 who went viral on, I don't know, TikTok, you know, then we would kind of take a collective responsibility and ownership of what our stories are. And because that's not happening, a lot of fighters who are trying to fight for um, justice and 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 representation and and women's right and victims' voices find themselves being accused of Western feminization or find themselves being accused of uh, being paid money because their stories are being amplified outside, which is great. There is no problem with that, but that takes away a sense of ownership. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the outside picking it up, but can we start? Can it start with us? Can it, you know, you cannot be in a country with a citizen um, of that country, with a woman that has gone through what she has gone through, and you get to hear about that story online from New York Times and every media house in that country becomes a secondary source to that. I think that's something we can definitely work on and, and invite our brothers and sisters in media and journalism to to listen and think that we are front page or prime time worthy. Tufa has used her visibility to spark a movement in Gambia. With the hashtag I am Tufa, many women in the region shared their own stories of rape and resistance. And Tufa led hundreds of young people on a march through the streets of Gambia's capital, Banjul. Having those women come out in in June in numbers to match with me in the streets to say enough of this for the first time, it was worth it. It was worth all of that. Um, to have myself walk into rooms to mentor young girls who you can see are so proud and so happy to be there and feel comfortable to talk to me about their uncles touching their bums and their their breasts um, and to realize in that moment that it is not okay. That just makes it all worth it, you know. Um, to hear my aunties who are older than me, there's this generational gap who open up to me about their own stories. I mean, an uncle's friend who is a man opening about his stories. Um, female friends of mine who take it upon themselves to confront their perpetrators. Having 
people all over online with hashtag I am Tufa and their stories, people I don't know, they don't know me. Just having that open door and for a woman to open her mouth and mention the word rape, perpetrator, and even put the name of the perpetrator next to rape, it's, 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 it's incomparable to anything else. That is real lives being affected. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been worth every insult. It's been worth every sidelining. It, it's been worth every side eye look, <laughs> every rolling eye. Um, it's worth me losing my sense of security. It's worth having to have security at my home for 24 hours um, is worth all of that. It is. That's Tufa Jalo from Gambia. She's living in Canada now and she's writing a book. She also heads the Tufa Foundation, which aims to create safe spaces for survivors. You've been listening to Power of the Streets, a podcast series brought to you by Human Rights Watch. I'm Audrey Kawire-Wabwire. That's the end of our show. Check out our show notes for more about Tufa and the conversation she started in Gambia. In the next episode, we'll take the conversation to Tanzania. Learn more about Human Rights Watch and our work by visiting our website, hrw.org, and follow us on Twitter at hrw and on Instagram at Human Rights Watch. Join the conversation using the hashtag Power of the Streets and share your thoughts with Tufa or any of our other guests and you can tell us how you're speaking truth to power. This episode of Power of the Streets was produced by Jesse Graham and Andy Siwe May and this is a volume production. We give special thanks to Frederica Boswell and Amy Costello. The main theme song, Au Revoir, is produced by Young OG Beats. Till next time, thank you for listening.